Thank you everyone for joining us. This is the Queer Q and I'm Nick. And I am sitting here with Joseph Bard, who is the co-founder and director of the LGBTQ plus Family Connection Center. Thank you so much for sitting down with me today. It's, it's a pleasure to, to be here. It's a pleasure to talk with you. Thank you so much. So um, for all of our listeners, we definitely want to learn more about what your organization does. So in your own words, just tell us, what is it that the LGBTQ Family Connection Center does? Well, in exploring um, different options, I, I had a long conversation with my barber. Um, my barber's son uh, is trans and they were having difficulty finding uh, counseling that wasn't emergency petition uh, petition based services. In other words, was he a harm to himself or his family know or a harm to anyone in the community know? He just needed counseling to deal with um, his transition. I mean, it's, uh, it's a big deal. And especially for a teenager, um, that's the time when they need all the affirmation and um, all the guidance from people who are going to help develop them in a positive way. So in talking with him, he was having difficulty finding counseling. And um, I started talking to friends of mine who are professionals in the uh, industry. Uh, one of them is at Shepherd Pratt in, in Maryland which is one of the leading behavioral health institutions and talking with her. And she uh, said that it, it happens frequently that because of COVID um, counseling is kind of overwhelmed. Um, everybody has experienced their own type of um, mental health issues during COVID more exaggerated than without COVID. So the professionals that do this for a living are just overwhelmed with appointments. And then finding someone who specializes in LGBTQ plus uh, affirming counseling is very difficult. <clears throat> so we were looking at, I lived in um, South Dakota for 28 years, and we were looking at um, rural America, what services they have. It's, there's certainly a population, at least 3% of the population identifies as LGBTQ plus, but yet they have no uh, services that are targeted for LGBTQ plus individuals. So we thought, what a good place to um, put our center. And um, we started first with developing a youth uh, committee advisory that would help the board of directors develop our programs and services. And with that, they said they didn't want a brick and mortar uh, mental health facility. They wanted something different, that that wasn't really their thing. So we looked at what things do we do in our personal lives that are fun. Um, I like to go camping and a lot of people like outdoor activities. So we thought, wouldn't it be great to have a counseling center that was in cabins that you could, you know, do individual and group therapy as well as go for a hike, go sightseeing, um, see the things that the area has to offer, and then spend time with those that support you um, during that process on a hike and having great conversations about what you just talked about in therapy. So that was our primary goal and mission. And then we've added other services. I was working with uh, the state all day today to do um, oh, emergency housing um, to help meet needs for food insecurities, um, to be a little more encompassing than just counseling because with, with uh, mental health issues comes a multitude of other problems that um, need resolution and support. Just to make this clear to everybody, this is definitely not one of Mike Pence's camps. 
not one of his summer camps. So this is a camp and no. program that actually assists with the queer community. And, um, you know, just from my own personal experiences, I understand that, you know, this pandemic has had a negative effect on everybody's mental and emotional health, especially within the queer community. Any type of underrepresented, marginalized group that is dealing with some type of issue um, societally, they are going to need, you know, more counseling during these times. So it's great that you offer this resource. I think it's something that's very important with our community. And um, I wanted to know, is this something that is more regional? Like what areas of the country do you cover? Um, are there, are you able to do anything remote virtually? We're looking at <clears throat> remote. There's um, legalities with where a counselor is licensed and where a client is uh, physically located um, that brings a multitude of things to look into before we go virtual. Um, but we are primarily looking at uh, North Dakota, South Dakota, Wyoming, Montana, and Nebraska, because we figured being a destination with the campsite, with people could come to us. Um, and then we could send them home with resources for counseling in their area for ongoing therapy if uh, there's additional support needed. And that's wonderful, you know, and I know that especially in those areas where you have the camps and you're offering this program that there is a lack of representation within the community to provide these sources of support for the queer community. Um, so has it been the type of experience where you've received any type of pushback from um, members of the community and those states and you know um, all of these northwest territories which a lot of people assume you know is republican territory and so you know what has your experience been like you know on the ground in these areas and working with the community it's most definitely a Republican red state and the surrounding states, but there's a progressive undertone to some of the Republicans that I've had to reach out to and work with that are um, involved in government locally now. And um, I, I was really surprised, like I visited with um, Mayor Steve Allender, who's the mayor in Rapid City, and we had a great conversation for almost two and a half hours. Um, first, he didn't understand a lot of LGBTQ plus issues. And he was uh, nice enough to sit and educate himself and ask questions as a person and as a representative of the, the community. And then um, we talked about things like, <clears throat> he's, well, th this organization does that. And I'm like, yes, there's uh, such as HIV testing. There's a great organization, Volunteers of America, that does that, but they are not specifically LGBTQ plus targeted. And it's uh, less comfortable for a um, person such as myself, I'm a gay male, for me to have a conversation with a heterosexual person about um, sexual practices. Um, it's much more comfortable that someone who identifies within the LGBTQ plus community would be a more comforting uh, you know, exposure and, and uh, give the ability to have a better conversation. So <clears throat> to answer your question, there's been a little bit of pushback, but the pushback hasn't been what I thought. Um, we're 
welcomed. We I've had so many state representatives, you know, say great things like, "Hey, this is wonderful. You're you're coming to the area and you're doing this." And then I've had a little bit of pushback about just lack of um, education and understanding. People don't understand the trans community. People don't understand people like me. I'm uh, a gay male who I have children. Um, they they don't understand that we're just the same as everybody else. We do laundry, we laugh, we cook, we have adversity in our lives. It's just compounded by the outside world and how they view us. Exactly. You know, I think that's the perfect statement to make because that's the truth. We're all human, but for a lot of the population, it's really trying to understand who we are as a queer community, specifically for our trans, non-binary, and gender non-conforming brothers and sisters within our community. Um, I think that you bring up a really good point, especially working with local government, um, you know, because here at the Queer Q and Queerly News, we've been tracking various state legislature, looking to ban gender-affirming care for trans individuals, um, banning trans athletes from competing in school sports, and also the infamous bathroom bills that just, you know, won't go away, let them plaguing the country. And we want to know, um, can you share some personal experiences by the individuals that you work with that you help personally that are affected? Sure. Like one of the youth that we ended up asking to join the um, Youth Advisory Committee because they had a unique, a unique standpoint within the community of what youth were seeking. Um, I, I ended up in tears when I got off of uh, Skype with him. He is a 16-year-old um, trans male student who is now, he has been, um, basically his family has disowned him. He's living in uh, care of, uh, he's a ward of the state basically in, in someone's home who's accepting of him. And um, we were talking about um, school system and, and he made this statement that he said, everybody's worried about what um, perpetrators might do that, uh, you know, a, excuse the language, but a rapist or something may portray themselves as trans in order to, you know, get into a restroom to perpetrate a crime. And, um, and I, we were talking, he said, nobody's concerned about me. He said, I walk out of the girls' restroom, which is my cisgender, and, you know, I identify as um, a trans male. I look like a male, which he, a beard, good-looking guy. He said, who do you think is, is in danger walking out of the opposite restroom of, of how I appear? He said, do you know how many times in school I got beat up for walking out of the girls' restroom where they required me to go? broke my heart. I literally got off the call crying, thinking, you know, I couldn't relate. I could empathize. But now that I have that story and, and talk to this person, I know exactly the fear that he has every day of his life. Um, to have to leave school, to leave your friends, to leave your peers, uh, to, to be isolated again is not what we need in the community. What we need is acceptance and to be part of the, the community and be inclusive. Um, you also brought up um, politics. Uh, I'm quite sure that uh, Governor Nome knows my name. Uh, I've called her out so many times on Twitter and different uh, social media. 
the one kid who was registered in sports in the state of South Dakota on a high school level, um, his name is Chris. He's a trans male, brilliantly wonderful kid, very charismatic, outgoing. Um, so let's make this belief politically that there's this huge problem of scholarships being taken away, of you know competitive advantages, uh, and and Chris had none of these things, no competitive advantage, um, because Chris is not on testosterone treatment as a teenager. Um, Chris also um, is just a, a regular kid who wants to play football, um, which my cousin, as a cisgender female, she played football in Virginia in high school sports uh, in the 80s and uh, was allowed to. But because the perception politically is this is a threat, you know, there's no, there's no loss of scholarships for any cisgender female. There's no um, loss of competitive edge by any female. There's loss of a child being able to participate in a sport that they love. How terrible is that? Thank goodness this, this child has the best supportive family. They've done counseling together as a family. They've um, supported each other. They support their son. They are battling with the, the school districts now to help change policy. But if we didn't have people like that, a 17-year-old carrying a torch, who would? That's true, especially if his family, the support that he would have at home isn't exactly what it is, you know? And I think you raise a very important point that a lot of these legislators, they don't know about the trans kids that they're making these bills about. We've seen that a lot of these lawmakers and a lot of the pundits who discuss um, all of the so-called repercussions of allowing trans people to play in sports and to have trans-affirming healthcare. You know, all of these pundits, these politicians, they haven't met with a single trans person. And it's something where- Or, or a professional at that too, and not to interrupt you, but- Exactly. The professionals have said for years that trans um, trans affirming care is essential to life. Um, yes. That that the um, suicide risk goes from extremely high to almost nothing with just affirming care. Mm -hmm. And and they want you to believe that as a parent, I, like I have a twelve year old son, as a parent that you can walk into your doctor and say he decided he's a girl and we would like to schedule surgery next week. That's not, that's not near what happens, and that's not near um, what, what any expert recommends, but they're not listening to the experts either. No, no, that, yeah, that tends to be something that is not sensational enough. It's like, no, there are a lot of processes, um, a lot of things that one has to go to to be able to go through gender-affirming care. And it's something where they act like it's this irreversible choice that there's no thought being put into when that is absolutely, you know, opposite from the fact. And, and they're not stating that, that it's a pause for, for a youth, you know, if they, if they do hormone blockers, it's a pause to give time to seek professional help, to decide what's right, to decide if this is, it's, it's not what the public is led to believe. And do you think having these authentic conversations are doing a lot to help push the needle forward when it comes to 
changing legislators' minds when it comes to um, putting these bills into law and submitting these bills to be considered? I think that the more visibility we have as um, LGBTQ plus people, the more um, you get to know someone, the more it's difficult to bring these bills against people. Um, there are safety issues for a lot of people. They can't be out, they can't talk about who they are. And we certainly don't want those people to put themselves in a position of risking safety. Um, there's kids that still live at home that their parents you know, are evangelical and, and they would be rejected. And that's furthest from what we want. But like uh, working with the ACLU um, during legislation, legislative sessions, some of the uh, testimony by parents and by children were extremely beneficial to the rest of the public. They got to see these are who the, the kids actually are. These are who the parents actually are. And, and <clears throat> not only provide education, but a little bit of empathy that this is a child you're attacking with your legislation. Yeah, people seem to forget about that when it comes to putting these laws into practice. Um, so you mentioned the ACLU. I wanted to know, besides a lot of the counseling that you do and a lot of the advocacy that you do and your organization does, what are some of the other organizations that have been really beneficial in this fight to stop this harmful legislation? And what else are you doing to make a lot of the people who will be affected by these bans visible to the legislators? We are reaching out to the school districts. Um, we're offering um, education on, especially on uh, the trans community right now um, to have an open dialogue. We're also reaching out to other organizations that are involved in the nonprofit sector that are treating um, LGBTQ plus who are maybe not as specialized because they don't have LGBTQ plus staff and helping educate them um, as well as to find the holes in service to see where we can work together. Typically, because there's a lot of federal, state, and private funding, groups work separately. They don't want to lose numbers. If, uh, if your organization were treating um, HIV-positive patients, you want to keep those numbers and that funding to yourself. Well, that's reverse of what we believe as an organization. We believe the more we work together, the more visibility we bring, to the plight of LGBTQ plus people and, and the things that we experience every day. And the more we can get these social programs out and helpful for LGBTQ plus individuals. Well, that's wonderful to hear. You know, that is what we love to hear because this is something that is really important to our podcast and our publication. Um, seeing everything in the news, it's been hard for us not knowing what we can do to help. And so I think something that would be really beneficial, especially for our listeners, for us here, is what can we do? You know, what can we do to help support all of our trans brothers and sisters in our community, as well as support the LGBTQ plus family um, Connection Center, you know, if you have any resources, um, you know, we can put all of the links that you will have in our description for this video, um, and we'll continue to discuss it, but we'd love to know just um, being on the front lines, you know, what can we do to help? I, I would say the first thing, if you're an out person and you're comfortable, 
to reach out to any local chapters of um, service groups that, that meet the needs of LGBT, LGBTQ plus individuals and offer to be a peer, a peer to someone else. Um, if they are doing any uh, meetings that are um, something that you have familiarity with, if your walk is that you are a trans person and there's a trans support group and you're comfortable um, sharing your life and your information, you should do so. Um, if you can be um, educational, you know, if you see these bills, uh, you know, coming up, you should call your, um, your representatives and your legislatures send emails, you should be politically involved because these are things that may not directly impact you today, but they'll impact you tomorrow. Um, just like the 70s and 80s, <clears throat> the far right went after um, gay men and lesbians. Um, now they're going after the trans community. So if we don't band together as a community and, and speak out for each other, you know, who's the next group under the LGBTQ plus rainbow that they're gonna go after? Um, there's a there's an ability here to create fear and chip away at rights, and uh, we have to stand up and speak out for each other. Yeah, we have a duty. You know, this is what we've been doing since the '60s and the '70s during gay liberation. It's, you know, so many people who you know started throwing the, the bricks were drag queens and trans women, and they did so much for us. And there's so much that we still need to do for the people who got us to where we are today. And well, and it's really essential for the trans community because they're um, they're, the, they're an invisible population. Unless you're out as a trans person, once, <clears throat> once you trans, trans um, in your personal life, you, uh, you, you live your life as, as your um, preferred gender. And it's not a normal conversation or topic that comes up the same. Like when I go to dinner with my husband and my son and the waiter says something to me, it's not uncommon for me to say, I'm not sure, ask my husband. So right away, it's identifiable, oh, they're gay. <clears throat> when um, someone is trans, we typically keep that information to ourselves, except with our close personal relationships. So the visibility is important um, in safe contexts and safe places so that people are educated and that they get to know a trans person. It's essential. I agree completely. And I think something that a lot of people need to know is that um, we, we discussed it earlier, but we know that this type of legislature that's being pushed through, you know, their solutions to unnecessary problems, harmful solutions to unnecessary problems. And we discussed the suicide rates of not having gender affirming care. Um, what are some of the other negatives? You know, what are some of the other um, issues that can come from these bills? You know, besides, you know, the the already tragic suicide statistics that we come in contact with with trans youth, but. What are the other repercussions from these unnecessary dangerous bills? Well, if you look at um, Tennessee, for instance, uh, you know, the, this ridiculous bill um, where anyone who affirms trans uh, people have to post a sign for their bathrooms, basically. And what is that doing that's creating hostility? It's creating fear. It's um, telling employers, you don't want anybody like that working for you. 
it's telling um, organizations, you don't want a member like that in your organization. It's, it's causing companies, people, organizations to distance themselves from, from people just trying to live their life. Um, these bills are extremely harmful in, in that respect because it gives a whole negative connotation and makes it seem like um, not only the trans community, but the LGBTQ plus community at large is uh, something that is still second class, is still not worthy of being the same as everyone else. And, and it's far from what um, the laws are, that what the laws should be. Thank you. So as we wrap up, you know, we want to give you the opportunity to share anything, you know, plug your organization, all the social media, you know, where is the best way for people to contact you? And what else do you want to share about your organization? Um, the best way to contact us is through the website currently. Um, it's uh, www.lgbtq plus, I'm sorry, LGBTQ Family Connections Floral Center net and boy do we need to change that website it's awful long um we do respond to anyone within 24 hours on the site if you have questions if we can help in your community we're we're all over it we love it um if we can help you find resources in the area that you live in we will definitely do that if you're in spokane washington and you're looking for affirming care i will find you the right individual to to connect you um that's that's the great part about what we do. Um, every day I go to bed satisfied that uh, somebody today got something from, from our organization that was positive. And that's the message we wanna send. It's time for all of us to do the same, to step up and do what we can to make uh, life better for every LGBTQ plus person. Very important message to share. Joe Barr the co-founder and director of the LGBTQ plus Family Connection Center on the front lines doing amazing work. Thank you so much for speaking with me today. Thank you for having me. I appreciate you.